Next Chapter Podcasts. If you're out there listening to this in public and you're wondering to yourself, can people tell that my eyes are bloodshot? Do they notice that my pupils are dilated or that my jaw's grinding harder than a couple high schoolers on prom night? The answer is yes. Everyone can tell you're high and you're in big, big trouble, mister. Just kidding. We here at Indecent don't judge. You know that and we definitely don't want to kill your vibe. So before your hands start shaking and the come down has you jonesing for more, here's another hit of wisdom from drug policy researcher Benjamin Fong. I live with my aunt who's 70 and she went through a phase where she was microdosing shrooms. We've done DMT together. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, what, what's going on? Why are people so down with drugs and why do people want to experiment so much more than they used to? Well, there's a long-winded answer, which is the subject of the book. Uh, and there's a lot of um, historical and sociological detail uh, that I get into by period and by drug. But the general answer uh, is that, um, well, so the, the question, I guess, is why us? Why Americans in particular? Because again, amongst denizens of other industrialized nations, our psychoactive drug consumption is pretty unique. So what is it about the United States? What, what, what accounts for this exception? And um, the most general answer that I provide in the book is that uh, Americans are subject to kinds of stressors that, again, citizens of other industrialized countries don't have to deal with. There are no real uh, forces or countervailing structures in America to uh, to oppose the, the demands, uh, the imperatives of the market. And so we don't have um, a labor party, a socialist party, a workers party. We don't have a history thereof. We've got a weak and fraying um, social safety net. The vestiges of a welfare state are gone. Uh, and so in the absence of those things, I think excessive medication and also excessive moralizing about other people's drug use is really appealing. Um, that's sort of what we got. So we take a lot of drugs. Yeah, we, we're doing capitalism the most. So it seems like we need an escape the most, right? Yeah, we need an escape the most. And we also need someone to blame the most as well. And I think that that's what, what accounts for the other side of this story, not just the excessive medication, but also the unique vilification of psychoactive drugs in the United States. Basically, since the early 20th century, we've been uh, pursuing this uh, this drug war, again, fairly uniquely amongst other nations. And, um, you know, the history of the war on drugs, it's a shameful one. It's a tragic one. It's an irrational one. It keeps going on. Um, and I think to make sense of that, the, to make sense of the unique investment in um, vilifying drug use, we also have to point to those social conditions. That is interesting because on the one hand, you're saying drugs are being used more than ever, but yeah, we have more information than ever. I think like culturally, the lid has been blown wide open on all the woes of capitalism and the corporations, and we're never going to put that back in the bottle, you know? Yeah, I think that's, that's right. Uh, drugs are pervasive. For young people today, uh -huh. right? Vaping is every vaping is everywhere. Marijuana is everywhere. Psychiatric medication use is everywhere, and again, destigmatized so people talk about it. Um, and as a result, you know, none, none of the well, some of the scaremongering is there, but um, it's not the dominant mode of discussion of psychoactive drugs anymore. And in its place, I think, um, you know, they're they're reckoning with. Um, with drugs in the same way they reckon with a lot of consumer products that they don't trust. 
So what does that say about other countries where, you know, pharmaceutical companies can't advertise to the public, but like in Portugal, all drugs are legal, but they don't have as high as c- consumption as we do. What, what does that say about them? Well, in Portugal, all drugs are decriminalized. Oh, and right, so sorry. you still get, yeah, I mean, you still get, it's, a, it's an interesting comparison because a lot of decriminalizers like pointing to Portugal to say, oh, this model works. Well, Yes and no. Uh, they did decriminalize drug use. It's still a very paternalistic system. There's lots of methods or there's lots of mechanisms of coercion to get um, people addicted to various drugs into treatment. And so it's not just decriminalization. There's this whole other system of social provisioning and, you know, straightforward coercion and compulsion that's not often talked about in the case of Portugal. Um I think the key difference, again, is that social provisioning. I mean, when there is an adequate welfare state, uh, when people feel as if they, um, you know, have some minimal form of personal security in a very, you know, tumultuous and hostile world, then the, then the appeal of uh, medication and the appeal of moralizing about that medication is, is greatly lessened. I think that's the sort of key, key difference there. And it's a, it's a historical it's a historical problem as well. Um, this is, um, you know, the ascendant workers' movements in Europe. This was this was a hundred years ago now, uh, and that was what won those welfare states and sectoral bargaining systems and whatnot. Uh, and they're experiencing the same decline, but there's still some minimum level of of social provisioning. Um, in the United States, we never really had that, and the little we had in the post-war period is is has been unwound pretty quickly. I think it's it's one of the more perverse um, effects of the drug war that some substances, some precursor substances to more dangerous drugs are made illegal. Uh, hemp is probably the most famous case of this, but I think coca leaves qualify as well. You know, coca leaves are still chewed in South America. When popes visit South American countries, they often have coca tea. It's a pretty mild stimulant. As an alternative to coffee or tea, and definitely the super caffeinated beverages that you can find at any gas station, uh, it's actually not that bad by by comparison. Uh, and that used to be in Coca Cola, um, not not isolated cocaine. There were some drinks. Uh, there was actually a very potent um, wine that had isolated cocaine added to it that really packed a powerful punch. Uh, but Coca-Cola did have coca leaves, um, and it still actually has coca leaves in it. Uh, but uh, Coca-Cola is getting in, in, a bit in the weeds now. Coca-Cola has hired a pharmaceutical company. I think it's called Stepin Pharmaceuticals. Uh, it's the one legal importer of coca leaves to the United States. Whoa. And what they do is they take coca leaves and they decoconize them. And then they give them to the Coca-Cola company to still add to Coca-Cola. So there's still coca leaves in, or there's still uh, the, the coca leaf flavor in Coca-Cola. It's just been decoconized by this one pharmaceutical company that Coca-Cola, uh, that is a subsidiary of Coca-Cola. The, the dose makes the poison in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we think of any drug and its derivatives as, as having the same kinds of effects and the same kinds of dangers. Um, you know, chewing on coca leaves, you might get three milligrams of isolated cocaine over the course of, you know, a few hours. Uh, a line of cocaine has, you know, 75 milligrams. So it's a, it's a 
qualitatively, it's a quantitatively, but also qualitatively different experience. And it has very different uh, effects on the human body. Um, so we shouldn't, you know, I think that, at, uh, again, in an ideal sense, abstracting from the realities of everyday life, I think that we can have a more honest conversation about what these drugs and their derivatives actually do. And in the case of coca leaves and cocaine, I think the effects are quite, quite different. I don't know. That is crazy about the Coca-Cola thing, though, because I feel like monster energy drinks like I'm just as terrified of a dude torqued up on monster energy as I am as a dude on cocaine. That stuff is dangerous, too. Yeah, for sure. I was doing a podcast the other day where the host um, said that he didn't drink coffee. And I was like, oh, do you have anything in the morning? He's like, oh, yeah, I, I have a Red Bull. Ooh. And he showed me this Red Bull. It looked like a half a gallon of Red Bull. And I was like, Jesus, <laughs> what, are you, right? what are you doing? That can't um, be good for your heart. I mean, like, that's another thing is like uh, my aunt just brought me uh, like candy from Spain and it had a label on it that said like excessive sugar, you know, like like food is really regulated over there and they're telling you like this is bad for your heart like we have things that are just as bad for you as drugs that don't have any labeling on them here and we're not as worried about those things i think the things that are going to be in those drinks in the future are only going to get um you know from one perspective more terrifying uh but from another perspective you know more self-optimizing i i can imagine a real craft market in you know, going to um, going to a gas station or going to a beverage shop or something and sort of picking your experience. I mean, for, for so long, alcohol has been the organizing substance in American society. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of at this moment now where people want to pick their experience, where they want to craft their own individual thing. And I can imagine you going to, you know... Um, Going to a store and just like having different aisles of different kinds of substances that offer different experiences and everyone sort of chooses their own niche thing. It seems like it's on the market today. I, I was giving a a book talk the other day uh, and someone asked me about psychedelics in the club scene. And I was like, I, I'm, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and he, he came up to me afterwards and we were talking a little bit and he was thinking about opening a space that did not serve alcohol but just served uh, different be- beverages with, um, you know, psychedelic combinations, like a, like one drink with psilocybin and 2CB or something, right? And that's your night. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, but I think it's interesting that people are thinking through that, thinking through the different recreational possibilities of this new poly drug market. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, does, it does feel like there's always like a new thing available, even though we haven't gotten that far yet. I was just at a party where they were handing out joints made of like, rosemary (laughs) why the fuck would i smoke rosemary and they're like "Eh, it's like it'll chill you out i'm like this just feels like i'm just putting smoke into my lungs for no reason with no benefit yeah in in, i mean in general um i I think that uh, i would hope just from a public health perspective that we slowly move away in this new era from smokable substances in general uh smoking is just a really intense route of administration. I mean, the lungs are a very inviting place for drugs to soak into. It's one of the reasons why cigarettes are so addictive, why vaping is so addictive. And uh, ingesting substances just allows your body to process it um, much better, more indirectly, admittedly. And so the high is not exactly as as quick. Uh, But I would hope just from a public health perspective that we move more towards ingestion and less towards smoking uh, as 
you know, as, as beautiful as the act of smoking is, I mean, we've been conditioned by film for, for decades now to just see smoking as an inherently beautiful act. And I can't help but agree that it is, but from a public health perspective, it's just a bad way in which to uh, consume psychoactive drugs. Yeah. Yeah. It does seem counterintuitive to put smoke into the thing that is letting you breathe, (laughs) but I'm guilty of it. So what can I say? So when we're talking about all the misinformation that's out there with drugs, both from the right and from the left, who's benefiting from all this? Well, in the case of the licit drug market, I think it's pretty clear it's big pharmaceutical companies. Um, Anytime a uh, pharmaceutical drug is brought to market, the concerns with it are generally muted, sometimes by legal means. Um, and the benefits are generally overhyped. Uh, I think it's, um, I might be misremembering this, but I think it's the case for, uh, ADHD medications. Basically every company that has been, that has brought a ADHD medication to market has been, has been, um, uh, fined by the FDA, cited by the FDA, uh, for misinformation. It's just a routine exercise at this point. Pharmaceutical companies regularly overhype their drugs and then are okay with the citations for it. Um, in the case of the illegal drug market, I think it's somewhat different. Um, you know, it's very profitable for certain people, uh, mainly the big distributors. So, um, so money on either end of uh, the, the illegal drug market is not that great, right? Farming, uh, you know, farming poppies, um, selling drugs on the street, like people are not going to be getting rich quick uh, in those positions, but the big distributors do make a lot of money. The incentives of the black market sort of dictate that that's the case. Um, I think from a broader perspective, though, drug policy has been a very convenient way to pass legislation that deals with certain social ills without dealing with those directly. And so I think the most famous case of this is the 1986 Anti-Drug Abuse Act, which, um, well, it did a lot of different things, but I think it's most well known for creating the 100 to 1 crack to cocaine sentencing disparity that did escalate uh, the crisis of mass incarceration in America. And, you know, what did that legislation do? Well, it explicitly attacked drug use. But what what kind of drug use? Well, crack was overwhelmingly located in um, dilapidated, predominantly black urban areas. These were centers of crack economies. Um, And so it was a way of dealing with that that urban issue without dealing with it directly, without providing the kinds of jobs and social provisioning necessary to deal with the economic consequences that led to the crack explosion in the 80s. Um, and I think that's kind of true of drug policy in, in general. Like, who who benefits? Well, um, I don't know if anyone benefits exactly, but it's certainly a convenient way for politicians to do certain things that um, they couldn't do by more direct means. Subscribe, rate, and review Indecent with Kiki Anderson wherever you get your podcasts. Follow the show at Indecent Kiki on Instagram. Follow me at It's Kiki Anderson. Email the show at IndecentThePod at gmail.com. And come back next week for more Indecent, where NSFW meets LMAO. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned. 
just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? (coughs) Or just a horrible accident? (coughs) That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. We'd never admit it, but deep down, we all get at least some pleasure from bad things happening to somebody we don't like. History's full of stories about bitter enemies being mutually horrible. Usually nothing good comes of it. But sometimes, sometimes, you get soul singers James Brown and Joe Tex, or 17th century nun Sor Juana, and the entire Catholic Church duking it out and dramatically changing our world. On Beef with Bridget Todd, we tell the stories of those petty feuds behind some of the greatest art, innovation, and global events. Listen to Beef wherever you get your podcasts. Next Chapter Podcasts.